blah 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 what is this guy babbling about what is he saying what is this preacher babbling about believe it or not that's not the first time that question has ever been brought up in fact we're going to dive into act 17 and you'll see how somebody says that again this is preacher babbling about. Right now, friends, my name is JJ Placencio. For 11 years, I've been pastor here at Austin Oaks Church, wonderful years. And as of May 1st, I'm no longer on staff. So I can actually say whatever I want. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be great. No, I'm really uh, proud and happy to be friends and partners with uh, all the staff here and uh, uh, I, I love this place. You guys are my peeps. And I uh, appreciate and love you. And I know that you got my back. I woke up in the middle of the night. Never thought this would happen to me as a worship leader and a, a city pastor. But I woke up with some inspiration. And then my, my wife read my notes and said, yeah, we should change some things. <laughs> and um, so I'm, I might be reading a little bit more than I need to be. But the content is here. And if you would allow me, I just want to share this message with you. Um, so we're going to dive into Acts. It looks like we're in the book of Acts. And this is a great time for us to kind of explore. But I want to talk to you about some similarities that I ran into with the book of Acts and where we are today in Austin. So specifically, thinking about the early Mediterranean churches, things were starting to spread. But I started to reflect back 40 years, 50 years ago. I remember even in pop culture, people would say something like, you got to find yourself a good Christian man. You know, or that isn't, that isn't Christian-like. They would say th- phrases like that. And back then, that kind of meant, you know, people used to look at Christians and they liked us for our ethics. They thought maybe our doctrine was a little silly and outdated, but they liked how ethical we were, how we, we would be personified in this area. Um, They liked what the Bible had to say about ethics, help people to be good and ethical. But today, devout Christians are viewed at being narrow and so exclusive that they can be viewed as not being good citizens nowadays. They need to tone it down and keep all that stuff to themselves. They need to keep that private. The previous view of liking, our eth- liking us for our ethics, that is no longer admired. Now we're in a state of where there is a social cost. There is a social cost for you to be a Christian. And the more that there is a social cost for us being a Christian, the more Christians are shutting up about their faith. We're not talking about it as much anymore because there's a cost to it. And that's the similarity that I see. We're becoming like the Roman world in which the church in Acts lived, not identical, but more like it. Real quickly, the Roman world back then was very polytheistic. Every town had a god. Uh, Every guild. So even if you're a tradesman, you're a whatever, whatever you did there, you had a god for that. Every marketplace, every people group. People practiced and tolerated and welcomed all kinds of gods. Um, here's another thing really interesting. 
Nobody thought that their God was the God. And uh, if you, let's say I came from Thessalonica and I'm visiting Athens, well, I would have no problem adjusting who I worship there to here. I would have no problem lighting an incense or paying homage to the God in Athens. So people there are very tolerant to just worship whoever they seemed fit. They didn't want to disrupt. That was the culture, too. It was was even economical. So they were the way they would pay an homage. Athens was the home of almost every man-made god in existence. (laughs) The pagan writer Petronius once said, it was easier to find a god in Athens than a man. So everyone was happy. Well, you know. And then Christians came along. Christians believed that their God was the God. And they would not bow to any other God nor pay homage. It would disrupt the economics of the city, the temperament and the social structure. They were the most unpopular, the most persecuted. Because I was thinking, well, if they were so open to so many gods, why is there so much tension? Why not, why, why are everyone picking on the Christians? It was because of that. Their God was the only God. Well, of course, there were the Jews. Okay, I'm, you're right. If you're probably thinking, well, the Jews were there. That's true. But the Jews, they didn't eat with the Gentiles. They didn't marry any other Gentiles. They didn't go into the homes of any other Gentiles. They kind of kept to themselves. They also weren't converting people into Judaism. They kind of stayed their own thing. I know that they believe that their God is the God, but they, are, they kind of stay to themselves. They're not really disrupting anything in the culture. You with me? If you were a Christian and you went to someone's home, you could, you could not even honor the gods that they, would, that they have set out for that maybe that day. You would disrespect them. You would dishonor them. If there was a collection plate being passed for their God, you would disrespect them. You would not even have a place in society for them. What good were you? If you went to a banquet in any social structure, you couldn't fit in there. So then the question remains, how did Christianity spread? How? If there was no social benefit in being a Christian, how and why did it spread? How did it spread? You know, you couldn't invite people to church back then. You wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't want to, if you're brand new, you, you know, you don't, you don't believe what you know, Christians believe, you'd rat them out. Christians, they could lose their place of employment. They could lose their property for being a Christian. It was, they were the most persecuted group. It's, so how did it spread? How did, we, how did Christianity grow? How was it shared? Well, let's look back now at the early church with Luke, Timothy, and Paul, and Silas. Um, on their second ministry tour, we're going to be in Acts 17. And this is verse 16. And we're going to read it together. I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture here today. I hope that's okay with you guys. Uh, now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked with him, within him. 
excuse me. Thank you, Dave Terry, for the egg tacos back there. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, sorry, saying many, I practiced that for like a week and I still messed it up. Um, May we know what this new teaching, teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Paul was waiting. Starts off that verse, right? And this just kind of hit me. I'm going to just hit this real quick. Paul was waiting. And waiting never means doing nothing, by the way. Uh, and I think it's very, this is very important because we can learn from Paul's many styles of evangelism on his journey. But what we need to know what happened is when he was waiting. I love John Ortberg's book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Got to Get Out of the Boat. Anybody? Anybody? Sweet. Uh, raise your hands. What? I, I'm just kidding. We don't have to count. But in that book, there's a great chapter on waiting. And what's funny is that there's not a lot of books on waiting. It's not a popular subject. Uh, but he writes this. Uh, he quotes this um, famous poet and author. Waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. We know this passage, right, in Isaiah. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I can only assume that this is true. Uh, the truth is, I, get, I was so convicted by this. Uh, by Paul's journey and his demeanor and everything he's been going through as I've been reading. And be like Jesus, I can barely be like Paul. You know? He's like this super Christian. But wait, maybe we can do this. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, it says. Maybe my waiting or relationship with the Lord is different than his, I wrote. Maybe I need to learn more about that. What are you waiting on? And then listen, listen to me here, this, listen to this sentence here, it's, and I included myself. What are you and I waiting on that is so demanding, vigorous, and God-minded that I actually need my strength renewed. Let me read it again. <laughs> what are you and I, and I put myself in there, you and I waiting on that is so demanding, so vigorous, and God-minded that I need my strength renewed, especially today? 
I see now how the Lord moved through Paul. If this verse is true, after being beaten so much in 16 and even the earlier verses in 17, I think we should pray here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as I read your word, it is powerful and convicting. Lord Jesus, let me see today that with you, all things are possible. Let me trust in you with everything as I surrender all of who I am and what I have for the sake of the gospel of Christ. Lord, let there be a circulating posture in my heart that listens and responds to your prompting. So guide me, O great Jehovah, King of the universe. Amen. Amen. So Paul, as he's waiting, something provoked him, something made him mad. His Holy Spirit spidey sense went off. And uh, he saw that the city was full of idols. See, Paul had an approach. The way that he would always go to every city is he would go there and he would visit the synagogue first. And he would try to reason with the, the Pharisees there, the Jews. And he would you know, tell them the gospel of Jesus and the resurrection. And some Jews started to convert and they believed and they became Christians. Um, but the Jews didn't like that either. So they created an uproar in the city. And they, 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 you know, it became unrest, and so they'd have to leave. And sometimes the Jews would know where they, Paul and Silas and them were going next and send them in right after them so just to create turmoil. And uh, that was been Paul's approach, though, first. He would always go to the synagogues, try to convert the Jews first. But something, something there was a different approach in the day in Athens, Let's read this. This is, this is in the message translation, 17 and 18. He discussed it with the Jews and other like-minded people at their meeting place. And every day he went out on the streets and talked with everyone who happened along. He got to know some of the Epicurean and Stoic intellectuals pretty well, though. Huh. He got to know them pretty well through these conversations. Some of them dismissed him with sarcasm. What a moron. I'm just reading the word, guys. What a moron, but others listening to him to go on about Jesus and the resurrection were intrigued. That's a new slant on the gods. Huh, tell us more. Uh, you know, I just, I wanted to put this scripture slide up here. Uh, it's what a moron. And I just thought, it's great just to have a scripture slide that says that right out of the Bible. But then I started, there's some deeper meaning behind it. And then I thought, hmm, how can I get you guys to be morons? In that, you be called a moron for sharing the gospel. And then I thought, maybe this teacher, this t-shirt might work. <laughs> I'll have them for sale out there, different sizes. I'm sure you'll love them. Okay. It's all scripture here, folks. Okay, so back with Paul. But others listening to him go on about Jesus and the resurrection were intrigued. That's a new slant on the gods. Tell us more. Well, these people got together and they invited Paul to come over to the Areopagus where things were quieter, right? 
So as you remember me telling you that Greece had, a, a, uh, every, there was a, a temple, a god in every city. In Athens, it was Athena, right? We all know that. It's a big Parthenon up there. But 50 yards away, a little, little lower, uh, there was another temple there for the god Ares, which in the Roman god world was a god of war from Mars, right? So that's why we call it as Mars Hill, right? Mars Hill, everybody? Bueller, anybody? Okay, I just stated myself. Um, and so that's where Paul was invited to go and speak. So I'm wondering if he just heard that he was called a moron. Uh, I wonder if he was challenged by this invitation. So he decided to change his approach here, right? He didn't go out shy, uh, shouting. He didn't grab a bullhorn and agitated the crowd by yelling, shouting, you're going to hell every last one's a yeah mentioning fire and brimstone and every other sentence and shaking his fist. No, he didn't. He began a new approach. So Paul, standing there, this is uh, verse 22, uh, Acts 17, 22. So Paul, standing there in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, what did he do here? I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Interesting. You know what Paul did here? He went and observed who he was speaking with. He tried it one time already, right? He was babbling. What's this guy babbling about? Now he's making an observation. He's, he's done some homework. He's gotten to know these people. He spent time with them. Takes time. Ministry takes time. It's an investment in your schedule to go meet with people, get to know them. It's wonderful. To quote Nacho, it's fantastic. So he changes it up. He quotes even in this latter part. He ends up quoting uh, even some, some pagan authors and some poets some, in order to make his point in verse uh, 28. For in him we live and move more and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets, he said. I'm in verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought to not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. Now when they, I'm jumping down to 32 here, just because of time. Now when they heard this of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Friends, so I just think it's important that when we are presenting the gospel, that it is okay to find some commonality with your friends. And trust me, I know Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed by this world. I'm with you. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to just know who your audience is. And the way you do that is you know people. You build in relationships, you invest in them. 
Can I show you an example of this? Is that okay? Uh, give me a good answer. Can I show you an example of this? Okay. Let's try this, Reese. You, you ready for me, Reese? You know, in the good book, it says, uh, God says, look at the birds. He says, uh, they don't worry about what they're going to eat. Yet I feed them every day. And how much more important are you to me than the birds? And even as you pray, give us this day our daily bread. This day, not tomorrow, pray this day. Give us this day our daily bread. Maybe God wants you to cling to him that close, to trust in him that close. So don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right. Don't worry about a thing Cause every little thing is gonna be alright Yes, I woke up this morning And smiled at the rising sun And three little birds Perched on my doorstep Maybe worshiping Singing sweet songs Melodies pure and true. This is his message to you. You can see then how uh, I got to walk the green mile back over here and put this back on the music stand. Quoting poets and things. I just, I love using that. I use that at Church Under the Bridge because it diffuses so much. And I tie in scripture. And I actually go into, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. So you, don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing is going to be all right. You can share the gospel that way. You can bring people to Jesus that way. It creates conversations that way. It builds friendships that way. It helps me be an Austinite that way. Helps me be, gets me in culturally, socially, some ways. Not all the time, not every way. Begins a conversation though. Give you an another example of this real quick. I'm watching the clock. We're almost done here. John 4, 27, if you have your Bibles or phone, I welcome you to go there. But I'm just going to hit 
you know this story. It's the, you, don't, you don't have to because you probably know the story. But I am hitting on a point towards the end of the book that you may not be as familiar with. And this is the woman at the well. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And uh, if you remember that story, uh, the woman at the well is there in the afternoon, not in the morning, because she doesn't want to be around, nor is she welcome to go with the women who go and draw their water early in the day. So she meets Jesus at the well in the afternoon. And Jesus uh, makes some predictions about her, like, well, not predictions, but he's aware of who she is. And... Uh, still presents her with a drink from the water of life, offers this lady salvation, even knowing full well who she is. And she says, well, maybe one day when the Messiah comes, that will happen. And then Jesus says, I am he, speaks to you now. So then that takes us right to John 4:27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled at uh, that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of town and were, uh, so they went out of the town and were coming to him. So how did the gospel spread and such social costs. Well, you know, here's this ordinary woman, and she is just being transparent about who she is and what she's experienced. This very simple, ordinary woman who knows very little about this, she's not an expert. She goes and tells her friends, he knew everything I ever did, what I needed, and he looked into my heart. She's not giving them sermons or bullet points, no doctrine or gospel. She's saying who he was to her and what happened. In other words, she's simply not hiding who she is. From her friends. See, it's very natural with friends, people in your networks, people that you know, as you, as you get to, to know them, and they begin to know and discover who you are, right, as we grow into you know, to a friendship, um, what's important to you and your convictions. And if you're a Christian, then the only way to keep them from knowing if Jesus Christ is important to you, he helps you with all your things, he navigates your problems, if he is essential to your way of life, then the only way to keep people from not knowing is for you to hide it. For you to hide it. It's just, oh man, <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. This is an ordinary woman. She's simple, not an expert. And the way it spread was organic. It was about character, not training. Are you willing to let people See who you are. Is Jesus important enough to you to be honest in who you are? Because this is how it spread. Simple transparency. Remember those two words. 
simple transparency is how the faith spread. She points to Jesus and she just says, come see about a man. She even says, maybe he's the Messiah. In other words, like evaluate him, research him, try him out. Maybe he's the Messiah. Come see a man. Come see about a man. That's what you got to share. The way to make the spread is not to make arguments about politics, sex and gender, science and evolution. Don't go there. I mean, if it it happens to come up, I'm not saying evade it, but I'm just saying don't get sidetracked. Major on the majors, you know? Like, focus on the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ. Let's talk about that. Jesus can handle all everything else. Let's, let's just talk about the resurrection. Come see a man. Come see a man. I love that. Three steps and we're done. We did it, folks. One, wait upon the Lord. Listen with your eyes up. He will give you the strength you need to, to share his truth. Two, get to know the culture of where you're at. Find your medium. Find some common ground. But as Paul did, get to know them. Spend some time with them. And even in Colossians, listen to this. It says, uh, uh, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. You need to, you need to highlight this. This is Colossians 4 or 5. You need, to, you need to write this down. This is important. Walk, to, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Colossians 4, right there. That's good. That's good stuff. Um, three, speak. Friends, you got to share. Don't hide. Don't hide. The way Christianity spread through all that region was not from church services, but people, it was organic. It was us sharing the love of Christ with each other because we were compelled and the social cost was high. It could cost you everything. And yet it still spread. So go invite others to walk with you. Go golf and go play dinner. Go play music. Go have, meet your neighbors. Do, but you have to speak. This idea that our aroma is just good enough. They will just watch me. No, you actually have to speak. In Luke 8, it says, those who have ears to hear, let them hear, they have to hear it from somebody. And this is your turf. You're responsible for this zip code. This, go, go through Walmart, walk through Walmart. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> I can hear George Lopez say that. Um, walk through Walmart and just 
tell God to open the eyes of your heart. These are the people in your hood. Walk through a target and just walk with your heart and eyes open. Don't buy anything. Just walk and see the people. These are on your turf. This is who God has entrusted you to be the church to. God, thank you so much for this time that we can come together. I pray, God, that you would continue to guide us and teach us on who you are. I love that through these stories, you have taught us and encouraged us and equipped us on how to share your gospel. How we love you. I'll keep praying, Paul. How we love you and we, we honor you, God. And it's in, in your precious name that we pray. Amen.